But the Bitcoin network, having lost 40% of its hash rate, which is massive, massive amount of hash rate reorganization. If you can name me a company that could instantly lose 40% of its operating capacity, have absolutely no problem running with and while having nobody at the helm, I would love to hear about it because I don't think it exists and I don't think it'll ever exist besides Bitcoin. This thing is getting its head severed and growing a new head on the side while one of the most powerful technological states in the world is full on attacking it. And it's just running to its own drum, doing the same thing it's always done and going to continue to do. You're listening to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Thanks for stopping in for another episode of the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. In this episode, Josh and myself, Dan, rip the Band-Aid off and talk about altcoins. This was a lengthy conversation, so this will be part one of two. We don't expect that every listener will agree with our stance on altcoins, but really and truly, our intention and desire is to educate and help others succeed by avoiding investment mistakes. During this segment, we discuss liquidity in the crypto market, pump and dump schemes, the myth of the need for cryptocurrency diversification, Bitcoin's unique origin story, taxes and capital gains, pre-mined tokens, farts, San Francisco, furry conventions, and more. We sincerely hope you find this conversation beneficial. Enjoy. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Josh, here we go again, buddy. Take two. I uh, I screwed you over. Yeah, you really boned me here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we recorded this episode last evening. We talked for... The recording was over two hours. We were probably on for two and a half hours. Yeah, it was two hours and six minutes, I think. Wake up this morning, grab a cup of coffee, head into the basement to upload the tracks and try to put the episode together, and uh, the audio was completely fucked. So <laughs> I have to listen to your stupid voice for another couple hours, Josh. Uh, I, I don't know how I'm going to do it again, man. It's, it's, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me over yeah. here. If you weren't my only show pony to become just a multimillionaire when we go meteoric with this podcast, I would never spend this much time with you. No, no, the, the feeling's mutual, man. It's yeah, this just, friendship is completely <laughs> dependent on uh, mutual. It's a glass house. Yeah, yeah. It's a glass exactly. house, man. I'm really excited about this topic, though, for a second time. We are talking, drum roll, shit coins. Shit coins. You know, the best part about that whole incident that we had about losing some audio was we went on for a good minute or two at the beginning of that episode, which is in the toilet right now, talking about our fancy new mics. <laughs> and how great they were. <laughs> the irony. Oh, the irony yeah, is uh, we, it's killer. We have new so microphones. These, these great sounding mics. And I'm sitting here listening to Dan going, yeah, it sounds okay over here, but I thought it would sound better. But whatever. I'm not going to call them out. And then <laughs> two hours of Dan's computer mic. And it sounded better and better as I listened to him. It's just Dan's sweet voice <laughs> yeah. really is what it was. Each beer that you continue to down, my voice sounded better and better. 
Yeah, I only crushed two of them in two hours, which, I mean, that's got to be some kind of record on the low end. Yeah, to suffer through through this for a second time, I've got an extra adult beverage on the desk. Perfect. And um, there is one real loss that we, we're going to have to suffer through because we missed that audio. Dan had a perfectly placed fart right as we were beginning that episode, and it was... It was amazing. It was it was Jim Jim worthy fart. Yeah, he would have been lost proud forever. Of. What a travesty! Maybe just maybe we could clip that little section in just so you can reminisce with us. <laughs> so how spectacular that moment was! Now that we're squared away, though, these new mics could be these. This could be our break, Josh. Like we've gone from sixty dollar microphones to two hundred fifty dollar microphones, and my my thought here is that. This puppy's going to add, I'd say, minimum 20 points to the audience's perception of my IQ. Like that's, that's, the, that's the reason I shelled out an extra 200 bucks. Yeah, at least. I mean, I, I read the box pretty extensively, and they're talking about an extra 20 IQ points the way my new driver talks about yards on the golf course. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure this sucker is going to send it through the uprights oh, yeah. for us. Let's just, let's just lay it out there. We're rocking the Sure MV7 and microphone and no we we don't have a sponsorship from sure but if someone from their team is listening i think you're going to want a piece of the meteoric rise of this show i mean i was on podbean and i'm telling you looking at our analytics we've got tens upon tens of downloads a week right now josh yeah we should probably forward those analytics onto them and let their marketing department kind of parse through that we're talking once in a decade opportunity, I think. Yeah, I think the kind of conclusion they're going to come to based on the network effect we're garnering here on this show is going to be, I don't know, at least 10x what Bitcoin's garnered in 12 years. Like Easily. Yeah, I would invest in this podcast if I were anyone listening in this audience. Yeah. I mean, um, we've, we've completely cornered the market on bored firefighters who sit in recliners that are interested in Bitcoin and that listen to podcasts. I mean, we, we have a stranglehold on that market. That's a huge niche that no one has seen yet. And we are here grappling with it. And we're going we're gonna to force it into the box that we want it to be in. That's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. All right. We are talking altcoins, my friends. Uh, this is an episode that we've genuinely been looking forward to. I think we had to hold off on this one. We're a couple hungry hounds in a butcher shop with this topic. And uh, we had to wait to unleash on it just because it's probably going to irk some folks. Don't you think? Yeah, I think there might be some folks we work with on a day-to-day basis who might be kind of <laughs> irked by what we're about to say oh, about yeah. these things. We're about to ruffle some feathers. Real butthurt. Real butthurt. But it's a necessary evil. You know, you can't, you can't be intellectually honest about this without, you know, slaughtering a few hens in the, uh, in the hen house. We're definitely going to let some stuff fly and talk some shit, but I also want the spirit of this discussion to be reasonable and logical. We we would both identify as Bitcoin maximalists, but I, I think we're in agreement that we're going to keep our eyes wide open. I mean, right now, the two of us share the same thesis, which is that Bitcoin is the only good investment in the space. That's how I would characterize my maximalism. I'm not here to reprimand and attack every single person that has an altcoin. I'm just simply saying the way I'm calling balls and strikes with my own portfolio is that I think Bitcoin is the only good investment. Yeah. And when things change or 
you know, if Ethereum can prove that proof of stake is a long-term sustainable way to operate their protocol and I'm comfortable with it, I'll make the investment I feel is appropriate. I'm also hoping that this discussion can legitimately help some people. I I hope that we're going to lay out some points, some ideas that can convince a person or two to consolidate into Bitcoin, to take their shit coins and altcoins and consolidate into the one true crypto, which is Bitcoin. Because there's, there's some people out there, Josh, that are getting legitimately harmed by some of these bullshit projects. Yeah, there are. This is the one ring to rule them all, folks, for the uh, Lord of the Rings nerds oh, yeah. out there listening. Oh, yeah. I think another ground rule we need to set before we really unleash, we need to clarify what our metric is. And when we're saying that, that uh, an altcoin is not a good investment, we're comparing it to the returns of Bitcoin, not to fiat, not to US dollars, to Bitcoin. So we'll be explaining we think it's a poor investment. And that's when your risk analysis has Bitcoin as we'll call it, and this isn't a totally fair comparison, but the risk-free rate in the space. So the uh, our, risk-free our, in crypto, <laughs> <yeah>. love that. <laughs> that's your benchmark, though. You, it truly is. Is your is your altcoin on a long term time horizon going to outcompete buy and hold Bitcoin? We both overwhelmingly believe the answer to that is no. Yeah, we're talking about two hundred percent per year compounding average over the last twelve years. That is a very difficult hurdle to leap over, my friends. Very difficult. I'm at a loss to where we're even to start. I mean, I could vomit all over this mic. There's so much to talk about. Where do you want to begin? Uh, I think uh, just a couple of quick down and dirty definitions would be a good place to start. I mean, when we talk, well, what is a shitcoin? I mean, what is it? If we're going to talk about shitcoins, we should probably uh, delineate exactly what we think that is. And in, in this humble opinion over here, I would say a shitcoin is a cryptocurrency other than Bitcoin. We're done here. I think yeah, that's it. Defined. Done. Uh, but it, seriously, it's a, it's a cryptocurrency other than Bitcoin, which has no immediate discernible purpose, or its purpose has already been and is currently being subsumed by Bitcoin itself. When we're talking about this entire space, it's very important, and we're going to knock this home <clears throat> a whole bunch of times throughout the rest of this talk. Decentralization is the entire purpose and all be all in this space. And Bitcoin itself is irrefutably the King Kong of decentralization. I mean, that's, that's not arguable by anybody in any one of these coins who has any kind of honesty about them whatsoever. Shitcoins in general are characterized by a couple of different things here. Short-term price increases followed by nosedives caused by investors who capitalize on short-term gains. In other words, simple pump and dump schemes or the old rug pull. And just to really quickly go over what those two terms are, a pump and dump is when there's a group of people who get together. And if you've been in this space for any period of time, you'll see it on Reddit. You'll see it on any number of different um, investing, there's like, there's like ringleaders in the space and in, in some of the altcoins who will garner attention and they will get a, a group of people to follow them down the uh, Pied Piper Road off the cliff of picking a certain coin with very low liquidity in the market 
deciding to all get together and put in a certain amount of money or as much as they can in order to get a small price increase or a large price increase that will then get technical analysts and other people to, to realize, holy shit, this coin went up 30% in a day. So now you've got all these other uh, momentum feeders buying that coin, sending the price up to obscene levels. And uh, because of the sh- very thin amount of liquidity in the space or very small amount of money in the space, uh, seemingly small amounts of money can move these prices significantly. So they watch this thing go parabolic. And then they send the signal to all their buddies and friends and followers to sell into the rest of the market who's currently buying because they don't understand what it is they're buying. And then the price just crashes at the same rate it rose up. And that is a pump and dump by definition. Mark Cuban just showed us a great example of liquidity drying up this last week. Yeah, he experienced a rug pull firsthand. You looked into that more than I did. What exactly happened? So he was he was invested in a coin. He was he was touting it pretty hard on Twitter. And then I mean he didn't get out till damn close to zero, right? I don't know exactly when he got out. He says he got out before it completely went to zero. But I mean, nobody really knows. The funny part about that whole situation, so the the coin or the DeFi token he was playing in at the time is called Titan. And it it promised a, an extremely large interest rate year over year, which is a good indicator to people like if they're promising obscene amounts of interest for seemingly no risk, that's a good indicator that you're, you're dealing in a shit coin. He tweeted three days before the rug pull on Titan, quote, crypto businesses make more sense than you think and value, valuing tokens is easier and makes more sense than you think. Because I'm Mark Cuban and I'm on Shark Tank. <laughs> the last part he didn't say, but he implied. Three days before the rug pull. So the uh, Titan coin goes to goose egg. Zero. And uh, yeah. so Mark gets asked via email by Decrypt, what happened here, Mark? And he says, quote, live and learn. That was his, that was his response. And that's respectable. You know, He had to put yeah. his tail between his legs. He had to say, I fucked up and I lost some money. But if Mark Cuban, the purported one of the great, greatest uh, investors in the uh, dot-com bubble and up till today, giving away my money on uh, Shark Tank can get his dick kicked in in this market, you think that you're going to be a major player? Good luck. That was a classic rug pull. He got on the wrong end of a situation where everybody in the market decided to sell. He was stuck with the bag. He sold at a probably a massive loss. And uh, he learned really quick about how much of a wild west this market can be. And, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a rough lesson to learn. And you don't want to have to do it firsthand. Learn from Mark Cuban here and stick to the blue chips, specifically Bitcoin. Liquidity is such an important thing to understand when you start investing in anything, but definitely in cryptocurrency. First off, if you don't know what the word liquidity means, don't be buying altcoins. That would be the first thing I would say. Secondly, markets are pretty simple. When you go to sell, there has to be a buyer on the other side of the trade. I mean, I've, I've heard it said before that liquidity is defined as the ability to sell in a bear market. So if you've only ever purchased an altcoin when it's going parabolic upwards, you have no idea what exiting actually means. And there's been so many coins even in the short history of the space. But let's just say, for example, a coin's at 60 cents 
and you say to yourself, I'm going to get out if it goes down to 30 cents. Well, I'm here to tell you that if it's cliff diving, you may not, you may say, I want out at 30. I want to exit. And you're not going to be able to sell till two cents. There's just nobody on the other side to take the trade and you get screwed. You get stuck. And that's so dissimilar from Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin is very saleable, extremely liquid, tradable on a ton of different platforms. It's, it's not even in the same ballpark. Yeah. That's the, that's kind of the elephant in the room that people just don't understand. Like I put my stop loss in at 30 cents. Why didn't it sell? It's because there was nobody buying. You, you can't sell to, to nobody on the other side of the trade. There has to be somebody wanting to buy the coin at 30 cents. And if there's nobody there, your stop loss doesn't matter. It's just simply not going to happen. It's going to drop right through your loss and it's going gonna, it's gonna to settle wherever it ends up, like Dan said, two cents. And you're still holding those coins. It doesn't matter if you had a stop loss. It's scary. You know, most people that are trading this stuff, it's purely for fun, but there are people that are leveling into this stuff that lose really substantive amounts of money. Um, and a lot of their hard work goes straight down the drain. Yeah, it's really sad to see it happen. It's also just Darwin at work in financial markets. <laughs> Very true. Darwin's at work in everything. Yeah, I guess we, we have to make the admission early begrudgingly, <laughs> that we have both shitcoined. In the past, folks, yes, I know, we're not perfect. I'm sorry. It's very hard to believe. We have both owned a plethora of shitcoins. Um, in 2017, I had, let me think here, I had XRP, Verge, uh, Ethereum, IOTA, Tron. I believe I had some Tron. Dude, Tron. Hell yeah. I think I had a, a couple others. Now, I am proud to say Bitcoin, in terms of the uh, size of my purchases, Bitcoin was always the, was the largest purchase. And I've never, I've never sold Bitcoin. Literally, I've never sold Bitcoin. I've only consolidated other coins into it and accumulated more. But I kind of fell into the myth. I don't know if you fell into the same sort of investing trap. I viewed cryptocurrency initially when I hadn't done enough homework as similar to my, say, equity portfolio where I needed to diversify. Like, who knows which one's going to win? I need a seat at every single table. And just, yeah, the more I researched, the more I studied, the more I understood that we're dealing with an internet protocol, not a share in a company. Um, I, I slowly yet surely became more and more of a maximalist to where I am today. Similar story for you. I actually don't... You had shit coins. What was your journey into maximalism? I did have shit coins, but I wanted to say really quick that what, that point about being an internet protocol is important because when we talked to uh, Jim and that uh, two, that two uh, separate podcast series we had, I don't think we drove that home quite enough to him to help him understand that, that this is very different from viewing this as a security or an equity. Mm. Um, it, like it, this is different than the uh, the early two thousands dot com boom because back then each of these were equities that you could analyze. You could say, "Here's the uh, cash flow. Here's the profit and loss sheet. Here's what they're making." I mean, you could actually put this stuff down on paper. But in in this cryptocurrency world, Bitcoin is an internet protocol. When you really break it down into its constituent parts, and so those metrics for valuing things are are useless when it comes to this kind of a world. Mm. Because it, it, 
what it's actually doing, it, it's, it's taking over or subsuming an entire financial world outside of itself as a base layer protocol. So it, it's just entirely different proposition than trying to understand if it's a company that's making profits and can be successful in the future. So it's just a different animal altogether. And trying to look at it through the lens of an equity is going to make you quickly come to the conclusion that this is vaporware because it doesn't make any money. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's just a very different worldview that you have to come to in order to, first of all, understand and think that this is going to be valuable in the future or why it should be valuable now. And then start looking at other coins and thinking, why aren't these valuable and why is this one valuable? And when it comes down to it, it's because this one is going to be the backbone, the structure for the financial world into the future. And most of the rest of these are going to be left on the wayside. I kind of view people that are interested in investing in other cryptocurrencies that are trying to compete as a store of value asset. I sort first of all, it just seems demonstrably clear to me that Bitcoin's already won that race. And I almost view them like people that people in like, let's say somebody in 1997 said, I'm investing in internet 2.0. Someone created a new internet and I'm I'm into that. And it's like Ship sailed, buddy. This is a decentralized open source protocol that's already got a protocol stack that's way, the, the horse is way out of the barn. That's kind of how I view Bitcoin right now. I mean, another another analogy I could draw is it's it's as if someone has lab grown a new element to compete with gold. And now they're trying to convince everybody this is now more valuable than gold. It's cooler. Look it, I just made it. This is the new gold. And everybody's like, we don't care. You know, it doesn't have the same characteristics. And I, and I yeah. think when you when you write Bitcoin off, you you disregard that it has an incredibly organic origin story with a very with very unique characteristics that make it I would say utterly impossible to replicate again. And it, people might listen to this and say that's obviously not true. There's thousands of cryptocurrencies that have literally replicated Bitcoin. And you'd be absolutely right to say that. Even Dogecoin itself is a replica of Bitcoin with some of the some of the uh some of the parts under the hood changed. Like the the block size is different. The block uh the blocks happen more quickly, uh yada yada yada. But the part that you'd be missing when you think that or have that understanding is that Bitcoin was created first and people might say, oh, but that's Yahoo or, you know, Google subsumed all of Yahoo's use case. And you're right about that. But the difference is, is that when something like this is invented, it it could never be done again in the same way, because when people first heard about Bitcoin, they disregarded Bitcoin. Bitcoin was very, very susceptible to an attack early on because anybody in the world could garner enough energy to attack Bitcoin's uh, ledger and use and attack it with a enough computing power to dis- to destroy the ledger with a fifty one percent attack, but because nobody understood that or so few people did, it never happened, and it gave it enough time to increase in energy to the point when people understood that that could be an advantage that they could have over a network like this and potentially take it over themselves 
it was too late. The horse had already left the barn. So that's the reason that this thing can't be redone again. Because if somebody decides to do this, uh, even if they did it philanthropically with no profit motive, they've got no way to bootstrap this thing to make it work because it could be completely attacked and destroyed before it would have enough energy behind it to do what Bitcoin did. So this is a path-dependent invention that can only be done once. And once it's out of the barn, it's either going to continue to win or it's going to fail, but it's not going to happen again. Not in the way it happened. Yeah. Uh, another to, uh, great point, and, and to elaborate on that a little bit further, an idea that I, I find extremely fascinating is when you look at monetary history, you see that monetary assets and networks, particularly store of value networks, tend to coalesce around one item. Uh, usually the most trusted, you could say the most secure, most liquid, most predictably scarce network and store of value tends to subsume everything around it. And the reason that is, is that it would be, like, it would be counterproductive to store wealth or build a money application around, say, a less secure, less liquid, or, or less scarce money. Like People are going to store their money in the vehicle that performs the best over time. And I, I've heard Robert Bleedlove describe this whole thing as the centripetal force of Bitcoin. And so I think this is what a lot of altcoiners are missing. Bitcoin is the store of value money application. And if you're trying to compete in that space, you're not going to compete against the base layer of Bitcoin. Your idea could be subsumed on a second or higher layer of Bitcoin, but it's, it's not going to usurp Bitcoin at the base layer. That, that battle has already been fought and won. I agree with you there. And I think that kind of reveals the emperor with no clothes in a, in a way with a lot of these shit coins. Because when you understand the way this stuff is working and the way the second and side chains are working on Bitcoin, you start to really understand that all of these projects can be done better on Bitcoin. But the thing that can't be done on Bitcoin is to create a new token. Uh, and if you create a new token, you've got a whole lot of incentives to do that because it's going to give you massive profits if you can convince people to buy it. And so most of these people in these shitcoin projects, I think, have a good handle on the reasoning as to why it'd be better to do it on Bitcoin, but their profit motive is incentivizing them to continue or create a shitcoin because they're going to profit from all of the people buying it in this circular circle jerk that is, is making them massive amounts of money. And it, it's... It's just human nature, really, when, it, when you break it down. But um, it's going to hurt a lot of people, and it's going to benefit a whole lot of these shitcoin purveyors. Un, uh, the unfortunate truth, but the reality, is that people that, are, that don't have intellectual firepower, that haven't researched something, are very easy to prey on. And this is an incredibly massive generalization, but there is a huge lack of intellectual firepower in most altcoin investors. I mean, most everyday altcoin holders and traders, based on my experiences, can usually deliver one to two sentences about why they're investing in whatever they're investing in. You know, it's you, you, Polygon, Chainlink, or Cardano, or whatever coin they're in. They're up big. And if you followed that up with the simple question of, tell me about Chainlink, or whatever coin they're interested in, 
Like if you ask them some basic questions, like what problem is it solving? How does it solve that problem? Uh, in what ways is it vulnerable? Why does it need? Why does it need a token? That's one of the best ones. Yep. Yep. Who are its competitors? Um, yeah. Is it actually decentralized? How many nodes are run on it? I mean, th- these are they wouldn't know the f- even where to begin, or to even define terms within those questions. And so, for a lot of these people, they you know they've memorized some line about their favorite coin, and they're obsessed with it. But they've done almost no research or personal reflection on the fundamentals or utility of the problem it's solving. And so this just makes these people easy to prey on. And there's a lot of revenue there right now because when a paradigm shifting technology comes into play, there's a lot of riffraff that rides its coattails. I mean, we saw this in the dot-com boom, Josh. You go back to the dot-com boom, you slap dot-com on the end of any word, you know, balls.com, tables.com, whatever the thing was, the thing was going 10x because yeah, the World Wide Web was a really big deal. But there were a lot of hollow, unproductive, shitty ideas that were sitting next to massive ideas that that were going to change the way humans interacted. But most of them got obliterated. And I think we're going to see a similar thing in this space. Bitcoin is the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. And beside it is a bunch of crap just trying to eke out a little bit of its upside. Yeah, it's no different from any nascent industry that's existed or a new technology in the past. They're almost always filled with shucksters and uh, magicians around the edges that are looking to prey on people who are new entrants to the space, who don't have a clear understanding of what's going on, and they shepherd them into their project or their, their, you know, they're trying to sell you what their bags. They're trying to sell you their idea because their idea is a profit motive for themselves. This is them selling their book, as Eric Weinstein said uh, on the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Mm-hmm. They're selling the book and they're incentivized 100% to sell you what it is they have because that increases the price for them and it increases the network effect around whatever project they're a proponent of and it benefits them obviously and so many of these coins are effectually ponzi schemes that are are literally dead use cases that continue to perpetuate because there's constantly new entrants into the space it's so nascent still even 12 years after the invention this is still like an extremely nascent industry that has got massive questions around it for most people because it's it's completely alien the way it works and the way yeah. everything's functioning in it. And you have to put down, I think Dan and I have both said, 40 hours of research into this thing that's scratching the surface. You put years of study into some of the things that, that really move the needle on this. The game theory, the economics, the monetary system, the way it functions. And then you really start to see what's what's worthwhile and what's nonsense in the space. I, it seems to me that the more research people do, the fewer coins they own. <laughs> and the yeah. vast majority of people that have done a ton of homework hold one coin, that being Bitcoin. I mean, there are exceptions to that. Like There are some smart folks out there that have some Ethereum, and we'll get into Ethereum. But people that have no idea what they're talking about, it almost feels like grown men collecting shit coins the way they once did Pokemon cards, 
like, dude, I need some polka dot next to my Verge and XRP, like collect them all type thing. Some of the smartest guys in the space started out in the same way. Um, Breedlove's a great example. He he ran a fund in 2017 and I think early 2018. And Robert Breedlove is probably one of the greatest thought leaders in the space, has produced some of the most succinct, um, knowledgeable work on, on Bitcoin. And he started out shitcoining hard. I mean, he ran a fund that was constructed of a bunch of different shitcoins. And he said, uh, at least on a podcast or two I've listened to, where he's like, we couldn't, we tried our best. We couldn't beat the returns of Bitcoin. And so I started looking at this thing more closely and came to the conclusion that Bitcoin really is the only thing in this space so far that is worthwhile owning. And the rest of it is, is mostly vaporware. Another, if there's probably somebody listening that's going, that's been invested for six months and they're like, what do you mean? My shitcoin has outcompeted Bitcoin. Folks, we're talking long term time horizon here. We would encourage you to pick your favorite altcoin and go find its all time high value in Bitcoin terms, not in fiat terms. And I will virtually assure you that it will not reach that all-time high ever again. That's seriously an exercise I encourage everybody to do. Go find your all-time high of your favorite shitcoin in Bitcoin. Each, each cycle we go through, those all-time highs go down. I'm actually looking for a tweet right now. There was a tweet today from uh, Corey Clipston at Swan Bitcoin. This is what he said. He said, I think ETH has blown its load. The biggest shitcoin peaked, so the biggest shitcoin being ETH, peaked last cycle in May 2017 at 83% of Bitcoin's market cap. I think this is it for 2021 at 50%. And he has this chart showing Ethereum's all-time high or you know, forever against Bitcoin. And each time it makes a huge run, yeah, it makes a run on Bitcoin in the short-term altcoin run. But holistically, it's all-time highs are lower against Bitcoin every single time it does this. But Josh, if you've only been investing in crypto for two years, you don't even know what I'm talking about. And that's where we're right. saying, take a long-term time horizon. Zoom out on these charts. The thing that people get fixated on in, in this space is comparing everything to the dollar, looking at what's this shitcoin worth versus the dollar on the charts, right? That's what everyone's focused on. Very few people are looking at these things in terms of the numerator in the space is un, unarguably Bitcoin. Um, this is the reserve currency of the crypto world. If you're going to trade in crypto, mm, well you've, you've got you've to compare everything to Bitcoin in the end. So as Dan just said, if you're not comparing the charts to highs in Bitcoin and lows in Bitcoin for your entrances and exits or whatever it is, it's the strategy you're trying to employ you're actually coming out losing without even realizing it because you're looking at your gains in dollars and saying, shit, I just crushed it. But guess what? If you had just held Bitcoin for that entire time, you would have had no capital gains taxes for your movement in and out. You would have had no stress because you're not trying to move in and out of anything. You're just sitting tight and letting the market do its thing. And you're still winning on a massive scale. If you, if you don't think that 200% on an average per year is a crushing win, you don't understand compound interest whatsoever because I think Dan would agree if you can compound two or 200% per year for 10 years, you're going to peace out. You're, I don't care how much money you started with. You're rich. You're going to peace out. You're, you're headed to El Salvador. 
I think this is a good opportunity. You brought it up to talk about taxes and capital gains. Huge deal. If you're Huge. particularly if you're trading altcoins, you have to be aware of the consequences of moving this money around. I mean, for starters, short-term capital gains we know are 30%. Then you add in all these trade fees. You're triggering these taxable events right and left, trading between these shit coins. The long dick of the law is going to come in there and he's going to take. Yeah. And the other thing that's funny is when these bull markets are over and the bear markets come in, people don't, they forget how big their tax liabilities are. Like if you, if you consolidate your shit coin into Bitcoin, well, that's a taxable event. And so you're, you're, let's say your shit coin was at close to an all time high or some big number that it's nowhere close to now. That's your tax liability when you sell it at that number. You need to pony up for Uncle Sam, whatever that amount is. Yeah. And a lot of people get themselves in a situation when they think, shit, I made 50 grand. I'm going to go buy a boat. And they forget all about the capital gains. And then the tax bill comes and it's massive and they don't have the money. And they're like, you're, you're fucked. You're in a bad situation now. Yeah. Or even worse, they lost the money because they put it in some other projects, but it happened in the next tax year. But you still have a loss or a profit on paper. You got to pay taxes on. Sorry. Summary here: If you're going to trade altcoins, you need to not just outcompete. You need to massively outcompete Bitcoin. I've heard Jimmy Song enumerate some of what I just said, and his his number is forty percent. He says if you're trading altcoins, you need to outcompete Bitcoin by forty percent. Good fucking luck. Yeah, I, I think you'd be better off going to the casino with your winnings, honestly. Buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, buy a bunch of lottery tickets. Take all the Bitcoin winnings and buy lottery tickets. Unbelievable. Buy lottery tickets and then get a tent and prepare to be homeless. Yeah, move to San Francisco and shit on the street. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... Another, if you own uh, all coins... Move to San <laughs> move. Francisco and shit on the street. Okay, Bring folks? your hypodermic needles. Get used to heroin. It feels great, I hear. Especially the first time. <laughs> we just lost a bunch of listeners. I think that's really that's that's really the trajectory we're talking about here. You start shit coining, then you lose a bunch of money, then you get into some really shitty street heroin, then you start shooting up. Next thing you know, you know, you're in a tent in San Francisco <laughs> and you're you haven't shaved your face in three months and you're a hippie degenerate. Homeless person living on the street in San Francisco, shitting in bushes that aren't even that haven't even been shrimped. Go buy the best tent you can now while you can afford it because you're gonna fucking need it. I even (laughs) said in my head before we started this episode (laughs) that I was gonna try not to be dogmatic and hyperbolic in this episode. I we're accomplishing that. Uh, I don't think you have been so far. Oh, I don't think that was hyperbolic or dogmatic at all. I think not at all. That was. I think that's about as level-headed, realistic take on yeah, shit coins. That was, that was intellectual right. integrity at its pinnacle <laughs> right there. <laughs> so when we're talking about shit coins, another real good, solid indicator of, am I, am I buying a shit coin here? And if, if you do have the, the intellectual honesty to actually read about your shit coin before you buy it and you find out that, oh my God, this thing has been pre-mined. This is a shit coin. This is a shit coin. And so pre-mining for those who don't know, is the act of creating a shitcoin and then gifting yourself as the developer or entity that is running the shitcoin a massive amount of its supply before or during whatever, it doesn't matter. You get a massive amount of the supply. 
A lot of them are as much as 25% of the, the currency. So if there's 100 billion of these Chuck E. Cheese tokens getting created, you're getting 25% of that, 25 billion Chuck E. Cheese tokens before the market even gets a chance to buy. So you're guaranteeing yourself some kind of profit right off the bat. And um, I think that it's pretty clear how dishonest that is right off the start. It's, uh, it's obscene to think that you're buying something with any kind of honesty behind it when you're, you know full stop that this thing's already been, a huge bite's already been taken out of it for someone to dump coins back into the market. Another one of the... Uh, wait, wait, hold on. Before you go on, I want to add one thing. The, the, the pre-mine thing is, is such a good point. And I think it... There's two, two things I want to say as a follow-up. First off, Bitcoin is in direct... Directly contradicts that path. It's totally countervailing. So? Satoshi released the code for Bitcoin before you could even mine it. And there was zero pre-mine. Every, so he released the code so that everybody had the chance to run the code once it was released. And yes, he was one of the original miners along with Hal Finney and then other cypherpunks as they joined. But you got to bear in mind, and this is something I think a lot of people forget, it's not like mining Bitcoin today. He was mining this stuff on his personal computer and Bitcoin had no value. It was worth zero. For an entire year. For an entire year. And he had no idea this thing would ever even have value. So Bitcoin was literally the opposite of a pre-mine, which is a really important point to understand. Yeah, Satoshi gave himself nothing when he started this project. He put in his blood, sweat, and tears into this idea, and he sent it out to his cypherpunk mailing list, and anyone interested in it could voluntarily decide to start mining it themselves with their own computers, having nothing pre-mined. So there was nothing extant before the network started. And then every 10 minute period back then, you'd get 50 coins for winning the mining race, which he did quite a bit. But again, the, the profit motive is obviously not there for him because his wallet, which I think has over a million Bitcoins in it, has never moved. Not one transaction has ever occurred to or from that wallet. The, the, the other uh, item I was going to say as a follow-up was this pre-mine to me is just indicative of the whole vision of the development team, which is giving themselves the ability to manipulate and control. And so that's a characteristic. We'll probably talk about this more later in the episode, but most altcoins are either centralized or far less decentralized than Bitcoin. And there are structures behind how they're created that give power players an ability to adjust or manipulate. It's just important to realize based on human nature that if you give people the ability to print monetary assets or adjust money supply or alter how a monetary system works, at some point in the future, especially if it gains massive entrenchment and huge value, that power is going to be abused. And it's like this pre-mine in my mind, Josh, when this stuff is pre-mine, it's like, you started out with abuse. How are we going to trust you in the future? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think the argument to the other end of that would be, well, how do you expect us to afford to spend our time building a project and then get nothing for it? And there could be a varied amount of arguments for that. You could be backed by you know, VCs or something, but I think it goes back to the constituent idea that Bitcoin had this 
almost virgin birth where there was no money backing it. There, it was a grassroots movement from the bottom up and it didn't advantage anybody from the outset. It didn't give anyone any advantage from a political advantage, a systemic advantage in any way. There is no entity, no person, no control point, no weak spot for, for attack. And in each one of these uh, shit coins or altcoins, there's not only a pre-mine, but there are known developers. There are, it's an extremely centralized system in every one of these shit coins that you can name. And they're extremely vulnerable to attack by state actors, by uh, any entity that's working in the development team that wants to cause a problem or steal coins or, or do any other kind of illicit thing that they can think of. It's, it's a much, much less robust system. I think this is, this is a, a good point to, again, reiterate that the whole purpose of cryptocurrencies, the whole value proposition behind native internet, you know, cryptographic tokens that work on a blockchain is to remove third parties. So decentralization is the name of the game, folks. And if you're, if you're trying to enter and have a value proposition in cryptocurrency and you're a centralized entity, entity or you look extremely centralized and your structures are oriented that way, you're wearing a peacock costume to a party and it's not Halloween. <laughs> and it's just this is you're you're in the wrong space because the whole value proposition is decentralization. Dude, that peacock costume sells so well, though. <laughs> it does. Those things go fly off the shelves at these costume stores, from what I hear. Especially when you're going to a furry convention, those things are popular. I hear, especially the peacocks. I know a guy that's been to the Midwest Fur Fest. I think I might know that same character. I think some of our listeners might too. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's kind of the way I view this entire altcoin space. It's Bitcoin is the so we've got two conventions going on side by side in maybe in Miami. We've got the furry convention full of all sorts of characters having all kinds of unsolicited acts on each other in peacock costumes and giant bears and maybe people in cages shoving things through cages that aren't welcome outside of a prison. And in the other side, we've got this beautiful, peaceful financial product being built by honest, hardworking <laughs> folks who just want to help the world and are building a protocol that is going to literally help some of the poorest people in the world. And they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart for the most part uh, and charitable cause in my mind. And then this, the, the, the acts going on across the street are just deplorable. Some of the most seedy characters you're ever going to see are floating around, just leveling each other with uh, parts of their body we're not going to speak about here. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I got to recollect here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, if you guys are sitting listening to this thinking you know who I'm talking about, it's probably somebody else. It's probably not the guy you think. <laughs> so, but wait, seriously, before we get off the decentralized then, topic, we should have probably had that go on in San Francisco now that I think about it. But you know what? We can't take it back. We're not going to edit that out. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh. But after, after that little expletive rant we just went on there, I think the next one is 
really important to understand is, and I think we all know that Dogecoin would be at that party with a peacock suit mixed with a some kind of Greek god with a horse body and a peacock head, and it would be looking like a joke even to the furries. Even the furries would recognize Dogecoin as the joke that it is. Because it, it was meant to be a joke. It was literally built as a joke by two guys who were just a couple of programmers who thought cryptocurrencies and all their ridiculous volatility were hilarious, and they were just going to send a joke into the ether, and they did. And now somehow, people like Elon Musk are taking it serious. And that's the funniest part of this whole thing. So if your cryptocurrency was started as a joke, understand that it is a joke. The fact that that, that, that I just seriously, as much as we're laughing and poking fun at, it's dead serious. Bitcoin's a big, big deal. It could be one of the biggest deals in terms of a freedom innovation that unlocks individual sovereignty and autonomy in our lifetime, in my opinion. So when people just make a total mockery of it, with having done no research, it's genuinely frustrating. The characteristics that underpin Dogecoin and tons of other altcoins, it's just remarkable that people latch onto this stuff. Bitcoin is trying and making a play at competing with sovereign nation states and central banks to be a world reserve currency. Right? Bitcoin's attempting to be algorithmic monetary policy that all homo sapiens can rely on. And when you sit around and pretend like Dogecoin and XRP and these other projects are going to be able to solve that problem, it's insane. And it's completely illogical, even from just a tech network level. It's just that the conversation ends there. They're nowhere near robust enough. Their security models don't work whatsoever to scale. They're not anti-fragile in any way, shape, or form because they're nowhere near as decentralized. The protocol is not built as well. I mean, I could just go on forever, but when you pretend like these things can scale and solve the problems that Bitcoin's trying to solve, it, it really does infuriate me in many regards. Here's a great, funny little example of something not being centralized. Uh, XRP, right? So Ripple is the company that runs XRP. They are being sued by the SEC and they got delisted from a bunch of different uh, exchanges because of it. But do you, can you seriously look me in the face and say XRP is decentralized when there's a company that can be sued and the the government can take it down and tell them you can't sell this thing because it's not a cryptocurrency. It's a security now. We've, we've said it's a security and it's over. And they're going to have to pack up their shit and go home back to San Francisco and live on the streets again. But Bitcoin, if the SEC decided, you know what, this Bitcoin thing is a security and it's not legal now and we're not allowing anyone to own it, who are they going to subpoena? Dan, you got anyone in mind if we could subpoena? Yeah, they're going to go to the board of they're going to go to the uh, board of directors of Bitcoin, Josh. Let's subpoena Satoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, Satoshi will show up. Um, he'll wear his peacock outfit for him, and he'll he'll give him his middle finger and tell him to go fuck themselves because there's nobody, there's no entity, there's nobody, there's not going to be a single person that shows up. You can't manipulate this thing. This SEC can't touch this thing. There's not. It's it's everything and it's nothing at the same time. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it can't oh, be yeah. grabbed. It can't be squeezed. There's no neck to choke. It's it's truly a sea monster that you just can't 
everyone everyone's heard of the sea monster, but nobody can find it. It's a slippery sea monster. It's it's very slippery. Bitcoin is everywhere and nowhere, and something like an XRP is somewhere very specific. Actually, they are in San Francisco. Funny enough, most of these altcoins, it's a, it's a great thought experiment to run through. If you were going to bring it down, where would you go to bring it down? And the answer usually comes quite quickly. And Bitcoin's the exact opposite. When you look at how widespread the node network is, how many different people are working to secure it with a variety of different incentives. Dude, you know what a great example of this is actually is China itself. China has banned Bitcoin multiple times now. Each time it's had an effect on the short-term price. It's got, you know, it's actually hurt the price, which is expected. But it didn't do anything to the underlying protocol. It still works. It still operates. It's still in China. Hasn't changed the fucking thing. Now, recently, they've banned mining. A a large amount of Bitcoin mining happens in China. All the Bitcoin miners in China, as far as I understand it, are packing up and they're moving their shit elsewhere. They're going to Texas. They're going to Florida. They're going to Kazakhstan. They're going all over the place. But the Bitcoin network, having lost 40% of its hash rate, which is massive, massive amount of hash rate reorganization. If you can name me a company that could instantly lose 40% of its operating capacity, have absolutely no problem running with and while having nobody at the helm, I would love to hear about it because I don't think it exists and I don't think it'll ever exist besides Bitcoin. This thing is getting its head severed and growing a new head on the side while one of the most powerful technological states in the world is full on attacking it. And it's just running to its own drum, doing the same thing it's always done and going to continue to do. Yeah. The amount of anti-fragility and resiliency that this network shows seriously continues to amaze me. It's unbelievable. I mean, I'm still fairly new. I've only been involved since 2017, but I've had the privilege of watching this thing for four years and seeing some crazy shit go down and this honey badger just keeps kicking. I mean, for a lot of these altcoins, we're going to the moon, we're going to this insane valuation. And it's like, on the road from here to there, by the time you get there, you're going to have to deal with some major road bumps and onslaughts. And is your network and protocol able to withstand them? To me, there's only one protocol that has the walls and the vault and the programming to deal with any and every t- attack that could come its way, and that's Bitcoin. I think a good way to examine this as a thought experiment is to think about, let's take XRP as an example. I know we've been beating on it quite hard, but I mean, let's be honest, it deserves every bit of it. Do we really I, I, think- I owned it, unfortunately. I'm embarrassed I did to too. I, I had a little bit. I don't remember how many, but- Thank God I sold it all. If you think that the entire world is going to be beholden to a company called Ripple that resides in San Francisco and is going to be able to <laughs> dictate monetary policy, that's <laughs> good luck and uh, hodl that XRP to the end because you'll yeah. be rich in that case. I, I've been in the presence of someone trying to convince me that a single private company located in an American city is going to rule the world of interbank and sovereign settlements and money transfers. <laughs> it's cute. Dude, I'm sorry. You got to go study some... Mo- you got to just learn some basics about econ and mon- monetary history. There's just no way that's going to happen. I mean, just from a game theoretic point of view, every country in the world would be beholden to that person, right? Or that entity or company or whoever they are running that protocol. In the case of Bitcoin, 
it's the only one that can honestly say there is no special interest. There is nobody running the show who can decide independently how this thing's going to go. It's disseminated among, as far as we know, 83,000 voting nodes, each one of them having the capacity to make their decision about the protocol and vote with their node. And a state can own nodes. Anybody can own nodes. So everyone's got a seat at the table. Nobody's left out of the voting rights structure. And everyone has a say and no one has a say. So that is a fair playing field for everybody to operate on. El Salvador to the United States to China to Iran. Everybody's welcome, but nobody's welcome to make changes without everyone else's consent. And on XRP, I can unequivocally say that that is certainly not true. Yeah. Oh, dude, I love that. One point of failure. And if there's one point of failure in anything, I can guarantee you one thing. It's going to fail. Dude, you're so, so wise to bring that up. What we're trying to create here, what the Bitcoin developer team and everybody that's participating in a real way, we're trying to create a fair algorithmic monetary policy for all human beings that nobody can manipulate. That's the core of Bitcoin. And there is only one cryptographic money protocol that's really shown that it's able to do this, and that's Bitcoin. It's everything and nothing at the same time. It's beautiful. It really is. It's gorgeous. Hey, thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind, and our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. And now, as we alluded to earlier on in this episode, here is the fart segment from our previous conversation that we threw out because of a corrupted audio file. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I think that was that was my cat upstairs. That that wasn't even Dan. That was a cat. <laughs> I am telling you right now. Letter. I have got some gas tonight. I'm telling you. <laughs> How can we be taken seriously, Dan? How is VJ Boy Party going to come on this podcast? Take the two of us serious. <laughs> I have got some stuff, and it's it's demonstrating it's going to have a propensity to come out of both ends. So just bear with me here, folks. <laughs>